I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Peter Georgie with me, who is the CMO of Celebrity Cruises. Peter, hi, and welcome to CMO Moves. Hey, Nadine. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to do this. Yeah, likewise. You know, I remember when you and I first had our big opportunity to really chat and dig into some of the things that you were doing. It was right around, I think, the third week of COVID, uh, like really being full on. And just the, the change in what was happening in your industry then, and I'm sure there's more to be told now. But also, I was just really excited to have you on the show because I loved hearing how you really take uh, career development and helping others very seriously and are very passionate about that. So I share that love with you. So I'm excited for you to be here. And why don't we start by you just sharing with everyone, what are you doing and why did you take that on? Yeah, what am I doing? So I'm currently the CMO at Celebrity Cruises, and we are kind of a luxury cruise line that's part of the Royal Caribbean family. And I took that on from Airbnb, which was, you know, the most stratospheric rocket powered travel and hospitality brand in the world. And uh, I saw just this amazing opportunity with Celebrity to kind of reframe how people felt about an entire category. And saw in that a way of traveling the world that had really been kind of devalued or misunderstood and really, I guess, relish the opportunity as a marketer to really put my fingerprints on something and really help steer the future and the direction of this brand in a really old category that had kind of a hunger to break out from all of its competitors and so I've been here for just over four years. We were making, I think, wonderful progress, launching new ships, um, a lot of great campaigns and decision after decision, inching our way into what we wanted to be in the future before this, you know, this global pandemic hit us all and, and kind of set us all for a loop, leading really to the shutdown of cruising overall in the United States. And so at this point, we're really fortunate in some ways 
it feels odd to say that, but I think fortunate to be able to have this time to reflect on what the brand means to its fans, what the category means to travelers, and also take this moment to kind of reset and come back. No client I've ever had has an off season. And I'm sort of looking at this right now as like our off season. You know, if you think about the NBA coming back, a lot of those athletes have taken the time to get into better shape, change their diet, change their routines. You see guys like LeBron looking incredibly lean and like ready to go. So I don't read a lot of business books. Some of my inspiration comes from people like that, where I think, okay, this is the off season. Great. Here's what we're going to do. So we come back stronger than ever and just ready for um, what the future is going to look like. Well, having absolutely no idea what that's going to be. I was just going to say, well, if you figured that out, I want to hear all about have, the future. <laughs> I have no clue. And so our entire strategy or philosophy is just about being prepared and being flexible and nimble and embracing the fact that we don't know what's going to happen and we're not in control. And that so much of what's going on is just beyond what's within my scope of, of influence. And we've got to be okay with that. Otherwise, you know, we'll just be obsessed and we'll go a little nuts. So we're sort of embracing the unexpected at this point. Yeah. So I remember like when all of this started happening, there was a lot of hope and perspective around, oh, well, this will pass and we'll be quote back to normal yeah. in September. Yeah. You know, September's right around the corner, but what, what is it looking like for you guys right now? What are you thinking? As soon as we're able to sail, you know, per the CDC, We'll want to get out there pretty quickly. I've sort of accepted that there is no back to normal, mm -hmm. which is not to say that I think it's going to be worse. I actually think we're going to be better than normal when we come back because this has forced us to reevaluate the way that every cruise line operates, the way that travel happens in general. You know, I was saying to my team the other day that there was a time when we all accepted cars without seatbelts. And they didn't get worse because we added seatbelts, they got better and they got better when we added airbags. And those things are all opportunities to actually increase you know, the safety of our guests and just people in general. So I'm sort of embracing this as a chance for us to relook at everything and then bring it back in a way that isn't just back to normal, but actually better than normal. That this kind of adversity almost always leads, I think, to improvements in products. Uh, if you think back to, I think it was Tylenol, right? The really famous case of some of the tampered packaging for Tylenol. That made everything better. And we're all better off because of that, because of the way that brand responded and what they were able to embrace in terms of change for, for customers and for their product. So I'm really convinced that when we come back, we'll be better than we were before. Things will be safer than they were before, and they were already extremely safe but we'll be able to communicate to people um, what it is that we're doing to keep them healthy on board, um, how we'll respond to things that are a bit unexpected and take care of them, and really be able to provide, you know, the kind of travel experience I think people want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, normal is, is overrated as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And, you know, speaking of exciting and different and not normal. You mentioned you came from Airbnb, obviously a great experience provider. And you mentioned experience. Like, what are you thinking about in terms of the guest experience right now? There's so, there's so many people more qualified than me working on that right now. At first, it's going to be how do we provide vacations with the minimum possible interruption that still keeps people safe? And then when we look further out to a world where there's, you know, a vaccine 
and more people with immunity, then what is it that we roll back and what have we learned to take forward at that point? So we're likely to start operating um, unless there's some sort of miracle before there is a vaccine, just as you know, Disney World is this week. And so we're going to have to change a significant amount about what we do on board, how we take care of people, how we screen them. And I think that will lead to improvements in the way that we operate overall. But we'll probably look at things as a lot of other brands are in terms of limiting capacity so that we can naturally just have more space on board and some other measures that I can't necessarily talk about yet until we release it all. But we're working with epidemiologists, former heads of the CDC, really highly acclaimed people to ensure that what we're doing is the best that it can be. And in some ways, that's no different than, you know, the way that we've started designing ships, working with people like Kelly Hoppin, um, or, you know, some of the advisors we have, and the partners we have, like Nate Berkus and Danielle Ballou, like those are world-class. And so our approach to this is no different than that. We just need world-class virologists and epidemiologists to work with us to say, this is how you operate in this environment and the best possible way without a huge impact to the guest experience. So we've been able to take some of what we do normally and apply that to this really, I won't say great new world because it's not exactly great, but it's a new world that we have to face with and we have to wrestle with. You know, I flew for the first time a couple of weeks ago and it's not the best experience right now. Look, it's better than driving. <laughs> you know, you get on a plane and you get off three hours later and you're in a whole other part of the country and that's wonderful. But that experience for me was really missing out on some of what I still feel like is the magic of air travel. I've flown way too much as I think a lot of us have. And I still kind of get a kick out of it. Like I'm a bit of a kid in that respect. I didn't fly till I was 24. So there's still this, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So strange for a guy who ended up working in travel. Um, But, you know, it, it, it had lost some of that because of the way that they're, that they're operating out of necessity. And my hope is that we can retain, you know, some of the magic of what a cruise experience is like while also keeping people as safe as they can be. It's going to be a tough balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I have so many questions in there for you. So yeah. I, love, I love all the things that you're doing. That's fantastic. And, you know, I have not gotten on a plane uh, since all this really started. Um, and the thing that troubles me is I was supposed to go to, to France. Um, for a family uh, emergency, but I kept thinking, oh my gosh, when that's like 12 hours with your mask on, like you can't take it off at all. Cause the air, right. I mean, I'm sure the airlines will tell us differently, but air circulation in the plane, I mean, you're in tight quarters and like, how do you eat? How do you, how do you do anything? You don't, you don't, right. You, you don't. don't. <laughs> so yeah. God forbid you, you really, you know, get hungry or whatever. But, um, but on a cruise ship, it's different. You have a lot more space and a lot more liberty, right? Or are you requiring people to be in masks at all times, maybe not in their quarters? Or There's still a lot of debate around that. Um, mm-hmm. But there are certain measures that we can take. Like, you know, if we were to operate at limited capacity, we could rotate the inventory of rooms week over week. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were in a room this week, maybe there was no one in that room last week. That's one uh. of the things that that um, that we're able to do in a capacity controlled environment. You know, we've looked at things that are sort of like your local grocery store where they have one way aisles at my local grocery store. And we've thought about doing that on a cruise ship. It's not the best setup, but it might work to maintain distancing, taking tables out of restaurants, um, certainly moving to the elimination of any self-serve 
food items and that kind of stuff. So there'll be some changes. And, and I like to think that they'll be embraced because they're all in the interest of allowing people to actually take some time off and have a good vacation experience. You know, we're also looking at things like, like potentially requiring testing before you board, twice a day temperature checks and that sort of thing. So that you know if people are on board that they have been tested. Um, you know that the crew on board has been tested. And so in that respect, the cruise ship offers us this really kind of unique environment um, that's almost like a bubble. And if you've tested everyone within that bubble, that can give you some confidence. Now, nothing with this virus seems to be 100% or totally predictable. And we have to be honest about that, right? I don't think anyone can offer someone a completely risk-free experience right now. If you go to the, you know, if you go to your local plant store like I do, there's risk. Um, if you get in a plane like I just did, there's some risk there. And so we have to balance that a little bit. I think it's incumbent on, on our team not to overpromise because we have the opportunity to gain more trust by saying we're doing everything that we can. But that means there is still some risk. We, we can't eliminate those things entirely. That's just the reality of where we are with this right now. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But my goodness, were you correct in saying that people need to get away? I mean, I've never seen, <laughs> holy cow, more of a need than now to just take some time off in this. I think everyone's exhausted from the 24-7 online behavior over the last few months. Yeah, I described the world as like one giant Whopper freak out right now, you know, where they sort of <laughs> took the Whopper away and everybody lost it. And it's like now travel's gone. It's just been pared back so much. And uh, I think the good thing is that that does allow you to reflect on how important it was to all of us. We, I think we got to a place where we sort of took it for granted. You know, you could find a cheap flight to Paris and just take off and grab an Airbnb and enjoy a week for not very much. And now that's just not there. Mm -hmm. um, and that development's pretty recent, right? I mean, not that long ago, you just didn't go to Europe. You didn't go to Asia. These things weren't even possible. Or you spent two months on a steamship or something like that. So it's a good reminder of just how privileged we really are to be able to do those things and uh, how much it means to people. So I have this feeling that once we were able to do it again, we'll maybe just appreciate it a bit more and not be as so obsessed with you know Instagram and hashtags and, and whatever else. Maybe we'll actually dig in and appreciate these places. I was just in Lake Placid doing some hiking and all kinds of weird outdoorsy stuff. And it's definitely different. I stayed in an Airbnb, of course. Um, I would have stayed on a cruise ship, but there's no cruise ships up in Lake Placid. They think you don't want to do be that. on the lake if you saw Yeah, you know what I mean? It would be a cause for alarm. Um, and the host was saying that with the absence of, you know, just Canadian guests, it's only a couple hours from Canada, that things were really different there this summer. And so you think about the economic impact, the cultural impact, the impact to our growth and development as people, and we go and experience other cultures. When travel comes back in full force, I think we'll all um, have a different point of view on it and be a lot more grateful for the opportunities that provides to us. At least I hope so. Oh, I 100% I, I agree. And I, and I hope you're right as well. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, we have a, a really large mentor program, especially this last year, we added round two. And so now we have a total of 350 executive mentees in the program. And I hosted calls with almost 200 of them in the last week and a half. 
in wow. groups of 30, just to, you know, what I wanted to do is just get to know them more, especially the new, the new folks in the program. And I asked them each one question, tell me what you're passionate about. I guarantee you uh, about 60 to 70% said travel. Right. Is the number one thing. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I, when I came over to a celebrity that I tried to reframe for our team and the whole business was we are not in the cruise business. We're in the travel business. Mm-hmm. Because you say cruise to people and there can be this sort of like, if you're not into it, then people have a negative reaction. But we're in the travel business and travel is just always going to be cool. If you graduate from college, you travel. If you win the lottery, what are you going to do? I want to travel. When you retire, you travel. When you have a, I mean, what's a honeymoon, right? A honeymoon is like, you have to travel for that. And it's this big celebratory thing. So it's so much a part of um I think just how we, how we try to celebrate the world. I mean, we know from actually even just looking at our data that something like 70% of our guests are celebrating something when they sail with us, whether mm-hmm. it's a birthday, an anniversary, a, whatever it might be, graduation. People travel to celebrate things. It was my birthday last week. That's why I went to you know, the Adirondacks to hike. I was celebrating with a 13 mile hike and a big stack of pancakes, which is exactly how I wanted to do it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Could have been better. I love that. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of travel, I mean, you're a repeat offender of being a marketer in a travel industry. Yeah. Um, you were at Airbnb before this. And then, you know, it's so funny, as you mentioned the Whopper. And and I got to call Fernando about this because he's going to laugh when, he, when he, he hears your comparison there to the Whopper. But he yeah. always talked about Crispin Porter and Boguski, and I can never say that right, but you were there before. Um, and then before that, Auto World Imports Network, and the list goes on. Tell me about your career. Like, how did you get yeah, started? So weird. Such a weird. Um, I'd love to say that I had a plan. I had no plan at all. I started out. So the way that I got into advertising at all was by sending a letter because that's where we were at that point in whatever, 1990 something. Uh, I wrote a letter to someone who worked at um, Bozell in Toronto when that agency still existed. Just saying I wanted to, you know, catch up and learn more about what an advertising agency did. It was still kind of hard to figure it out back then. And I didn't know anybody that worked in the business. So I had no open doors. Um, And I got a phone call two days after I graduated from University of Toronto. And, you know, that, that Liz would be glad to set aside an hour for me. Uh, so I, you know, wore my best bad suit and went down to meet with her and just ask a bunch of questions and be enthusiastic. Uh, there was no intern program, but they took me on as an intern for three months. And uh, eventually offered me a job on a Friday And by Monday, FCB had merged Bozell with FCB and the agency no longer existed. So that was my introduction to advertising. (laughs) Was you did a great job. We'd like to hire you full time. We're actually really sorry. Everyone into the main boardroom, this agency no longer exists in three months. Thanks for for coming out. (laughs) Um, And from there, you know, it was interesting. I kind of took a, a few different agency jobs and was really convinced so the, the last job I had um, before I joined Crispin was with this group of 14 uh, car dealers because I was really convinced I just didn't want to work at agencies anymore because it wasn't what I thought. It just wasn't what I imagined. And I was disappointed, I guess. 
And um, I was working on BMW prior to that. And one of the BMW dealer owners came to me and said, I want you to run marketing for my 14 luxury car dealerships. And I thought, that sounds really cool. I was like 28 or 29 or something. It's like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got to, you know, it's like, I'm, I don't know what my neighbors thought I did for a living, but it wasn't <laughs> legal. It was like, there'd be a seven series and then a Range Rover and then a, you know, whatever else the day after that. I'm sure they were, I'm sure they, they had surveillance <laughs> on me or something. Um, but it was like, yeah, I love cars and like, I, this sounds really cool. And they were just, they were wonderful people too. I learned so much about retail and about customer service and how to take care of guests just sitting in car dealerships. It's like so much the bleeding edge of brand meeting retail. Um, and that was just an amazing experience. It was like kind of a, an, you know, a, a master's degree in, uh, in selling in some ways. I got to watch these guys do what they do and they were all amazing at it. Um, and then, you know, I got this phone call about working for Crispin Porter and Bogusky in 2006. So it's like peak CPB. They're the greatest thing in the world. They're the, you know, it's like 1972 Led Zeppelin, you know, hey, we need a second guitar player. You, are you in? And I was like, yeah, whatever it is. Absolutely. I'll, okay. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to go work at CPB and, and that will be the, that will be the, that will be it for me. If I don't like it anymore, working at the best agency in the world, then I just don't want to work in advertising and I'll figure something else out. But if I like it, I'll stick around. Um, and I stayed almost nine years. So I guess I liked it. And from there, you know, I, just, I, I turned into home. It really felt like home um, through the reorganization of the office and a lot of talent leaving, but also a lot of talent staying. Um, it taught me, that agency taught me so much about how to approach marketing in a strategic and creative way without, you know, traditional sort of boundaries. Um, I don't have an MBA, but I sort of feel like I got something that was a lot more valuable just by being around, you know, if you look at the roster of people who were there and they probably, look, they didn't know I existed at the time because I was some like junior account hack and they certainly didn't know where I sat. But you're walking into a building with, you know, Chuck Porter and Alex Bogusky and Rob Riley and, and Andrew Keller and Rob Strasberg and um, Dave Schiff, uh, Alex Bernard. These guys are like super heavy hitters. Um, and then on the account side, you had, you know, Laura Bowles, who's just a complete monster and taught me so much just through osmosis, just from being around and seeing decks on the wall. But it was an incredible environment for kind of a young aspiring agency person who all of a sudden could ask the best producers, how are you going to do that? And when they said they didn't know, there was this look in their eyes that that was okay. And I was like, oh, they have no idea. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and like saying, I don't know, was just sort of embraced. Like I loved the notion that, well, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. I will figure it out. Well, hey, Facebook doesn't allow you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. That's okay. We'll do it. Yeah, uh, it was awesome. It was just an amazing environment. Um, and I stayed there until I found something else that, to me, had the same, I guess, the same energy and the same attitude and the same sort of stratospheric feel to it as when I joined, when I joined CPB. 
I think I just realized how lucky I was to join CPB at that moment and then be able to join Airbnb at the moment that I did too. Um, and that came about simply because my client, I was running vitamin water at the time and um, Jonathan Mildenhall was my client there. And I think only for about six or seven months. So, you know, you, when you're around somebody like Jonathan, you quickly get a sense that this is a person who is going to one respond to great ideas the way that you want people to, you know, that he was going to be fearless about it and buy into great work, which is really, really motivating if you're an agency person. And occasionally you click with people. I think a lot of people click with Jonathan because he's so magnetic. Uh, but I was like, man, I want to do good work for this guy. I want to make sure that he gets the best out of this agency. And, you know, seven months in or something like that, he resigned. And, and I was upset as you get upset when a great client leaves. And they brought in other people. Uh, Guy Duncan came in. It was absolutely brilliant. And so there was no, there was no gap there. But I missed working with Jonathan. And one day late at night, got, a, got an email from him. And the, and the title of the email, I always remember it, the subject line just said, would you ever dot, dot, dot. And I remember thinking, I don't know where this is going. Um, and then the body of the email just said, come work for me in San Francisco. And I was like, yeah. Absolutely. I'll come work for you in San Francisco for sure. Let's go. Um, that is so Jonathan, by the way. <laughs> so Jonathan. like, And it was like 2 a.m. <laughs> I mean, he was on the West Coast and I was on the East Coast, so there's a time difference. But still, I remember I was only up because my son was seven months old at the time. And, uh, and that's why I was even awake to see that email and respond at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it was a match made in heaven. And uh, yeah. so <clears throat> I love Jonathan's short and pithy, but powerful emails. They, that he's a, he's been a huge champion of, of ours, especially when we talk about brands together and how to bring folks together really in the, in the lane of humanity first, which I love. Um, yeah. So. He is the rare, the extremely rare marketer now who can speak equally to things like humanity and emotion and diversity and purpose, but also be so grounded in results and so grounded in what it takes to actually succeed, you know, that he could talk to anybody. I think that's what makes him just such a, uh, such a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Well, I'll then, never be that good. <laughs> I'm no, keep trying. Well, uh, clearly you're doing some great work. So what, what stole you away then from Airbnb was, what was the reason why you decided to, to join Celebrity Cruises? I, you know, so Airbnb, you just accomplished so much so quickly. I think I did six or seven campaigns in about two years. So there were no limits. You could, it was like the Autobahn of ideas. There's, you just go as fast as you can, as far as you can before someone says, time to get off the highway. There's your and, BMW um, influence again, by the way. The yeah, yeah, so I guess. Of ideas. But you're just, it's like <laughs> 250 miles an hour and there's nothing in front of you and no one's going to stop you. And Jonathan said to me, you're going to do the best work of your career. And in some ways I really think that I did. It was a time where you could just pull off anything. As long as, you know, I think we could invent, we could have launched a space shuttle if we had to at that company. And it came right from people like Brian and, and Joe and, um, and Jonathan, certainly. But I, there was something sort of pulling me back to Miami. And I remember thinking, I won't move back unless I get a job that I just can't refuse. And Miami's a small market, right? You still had Crispin at that time, which 
rest in peace is gone. So there's no CPB Miami anymore. You have a couple of big clients, but really not much. I felt pretty sure that by saying, maybe you'll move to Miami, but only if you get a job you can't say no to, that I would not get that job. The odds of that felt very safe. It was like, give me a sign, but you're hoping it doesn't happen. Um, and then it did, you know, so I, when you're not concerned with the outcome, put together a resume and a, and a letter um, for this job at Celebrity Cruises that had been open for a bit. Um, I had a couple of ex-Crispin colleagues who were there and said, yeah, you should see what happens. Um, so I put something together and sent it over and got a phone call. And I went terribly. I went so bad. <laughs> like, I actually don't know how it just didn't stop right there. Like, the phone call with my now boss was not good. <laughs> um, and I don't know if she then, you know, read my resume afterwards and was like, okay, probably a, a just, you know, weird connection or something. Let's, let's give this a shot. Uh, and they flew me out um, to Miami. I proceeded to miss my flight. <laughs> So this was, this was fun because I remember exactly leaving home, going to fly to South Florida again. I had this sort of fleece jacket I wore everywhere. And I remember looking at it and saying, I'm not going to need that. You're going to Florida. Well, it had all of my ID in it. And so I get to SFO and have to turn around. I don't make it. So instead of landing at, you know, 10 o'clock and resting up, I land at 6 a.m. for an eight-hour day of meetings at 9 a.m. And it goes not well. I don't know. It was like, just, you know, you're exhausted. Um, and I think I was maybe just more honest than some people would be. Um, and a little bit more, I don't know if it's fearless or, or whatever, but it actually went okay. They invited me back again. And then again, after that, and it was like three days of hours and hours and hours, um, and a dinner, a big group dinner and all of these other things. And the more that I spoke to I've told Lisa this, you know, when I came out, I was convinced that it was probably something I didn't want to do. I was at like the most noteworthy hospitality brand on the planet, working for somebody who to this day, I would step in front of a bus for, you know, and Jonathan, right? And I started to just get really enamored with the idea of putting my fingerprints on this brand in a deeper way. And coming from where I was in the organization to then being the CMO of something, that's still really big. We're, you know, a business with billions of dollars worth of hardware, part of Royal Caribbean. And I felt some pull to be able to establish myself at a publicly traded company in a way that I would get the kind of learning you get from putting together work and strategies for a, a big board of directors like we have. And I got really excited about like, yeah, I think I can put my fingerprints on this in a way that's really cool. I think Lisa was the right kind of boss for me as well, who seemed ready for someone to be disruptive and fearless. And she knew that I didn't have experience in the cruise business. She knew that I didn't have experience running a loyalty program, which I do now. I don't have a lot of experience in BI and analytics uh, or e-commerce. I run all of those things now. <laughs> um, but I think that she also knew that what the brand needed was a storyteller and somebody who could shape content and messaging in a way that would create buy-in internally and externally. And I think they needed a brand storyteller, someone who was passionate about 
what a product and a brand can mean to people. And the rest you can learn. All right, I've been doing the best that I can. And we have just an amazing team that, you know, doesn't uh, get upset when I ask them the same question for the third time as I try to understand, you know, how websites work. But we've, you know, we've been able to really push the brand in a different direction, partially through the hardware that we've launched, which I think is really important. I was adamant very early on that marketing can't change anything really unless the product changes. Change that's based just in messaging alone is really hollow. And so we've invested hugely in new ships and, you know, renovating our ships changing our itineraries. And then that means that you then have an imperative to just level up the storytelling and marketing of the, of the brand. When, you know, we launched a one point something billion dollar ship, Celebrity Edge. And you look at that ship and you get to go to the shipyard in France and see the people welding it and see the people, you know, plastering the walls and building the staircases and installing the lighting. And you can't help but be moved by that. And just think, okay, I owe it to you all to tell the story in a way that will break us out of this little cruise ghetto and get people to recognize what we do. And from that, it's all credit to the team that built that ship. But we were able to decide or understand that if you like design, then you'll like what this ship is. And so we got it into design magazines. We got it into Architectural Digest. Um, if you're into technology, then there's a story to tell there. And if you're into food, we have that story. And so we told all of these stories to media that were outside of traditional travel and trade press um, because we recognized that we had those stories to tell me at every right to be telling them. And, you know, slowly I think we're getting away from what people traditionally think about with that baggage around, um, around cruising. So yeah. that's just really exciting. The best thing that happened is that we ended up being named one of Fast Company's 10 most innovative travel companies. And we were on the same list with my former employer. And that made me feel really good because we are in a legacy business in cruise. And there we were um, being acknowledged by Fast Company as being innovative. And that was a good day. That is amazing. Congratulations. You know, again, so many things to ask you here. And unfortunately, we're coming up out of time. But I want to give a big nod to you on something that you you said is that you didn't have experience in certain lanes and you're really open and saying, Hey, I don't come with this experience. And yet you were able to recruit and bring a great team together, which is leadership skills and probably the most critical of all. Uh, So we started this podcast with me acknowledging the fact that we share a passion for people and career development like, yeah. tell us a little bit about how you recruited your team, even in, with topics that you weren't familiar with. You know, the biggest thing to me, and I think it's absent in a lot of marketers, is being vulnerable. And having the vulnerability and honesty to say, I'm great at these things, and I'm still learning about these things. And I've really figured out, you know, I went into my role, so I went from managing eight people to managing 80 people overnight, essentially. And I figured out, that rather than what my assumption was, which was if I ask people questions about something they know, they're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think that I don't know what I'm doing and I don't deserve this job. Um, And that was just my own internalized. Those are my feelings. How did I get here? I don't deserve this. I haven't tucked in a shirt in 20 years and now I'm wearing a suit. Who is this guy? What's going on? Um, 
But what I learned is by saying to someone, can you explain that to me? I don't really understand that. I just want to know what it is you're talking about. That creates so much trust. It creates such a feeling of value to the people you're talking to. Um, and it creates this environment where everyone's encouraged to admit what they don't know, ask questions and get better. And so everyone's learning at that point without this assumption that we're all supposed to know everything because we just don't. And it's just been really powerful to be able to say, I don't have all the answers. I don't think it's any coincidence that the average CMO tenure is, what is it, 18 to 24 months or something like that? It's not very long. And I went into this role reminding my boss that I didn't have any of the answers. I had none of them. I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't sure what was going to work. Rather than saying, I've got it, only I get it. You don't understand brand. You don't understand emotion. You don't get purpose. Really what I figured out is when you take that perspective, you're just being lazy. You just don't want to explain. You don't want to listen and you don't want to learn. And so I've, another part of development for me has really been encouraging the team and then doing this myself to share what we're working on as much as possible in as open a way as possible. And I haven't seen the work get worse once because of that. I haven't seen an idea diminished through sharing and feedback. It just always gets better. So I often say to the team, everyone is in marketing. The person working at the, at the desk at the terminal is in marketing. That experience is marketing. The hotel directors, the captains, all in marketing, the chefs, marketing. What we do is just take all of that and synthesize it and bring it forward in a way that's digestible, I guess. So, yeah, you know, for me, it's been uh, openness, honesty, vulnerability, and that applies to our KPIs too. You know, when we miss something, it's okay. It's not okay just to miss it and move on. But if we did everything we could and we failed and we learned something from it, what's wrong with that? As you know, I think the impetus on marketers to never get it wrong and always do something that's ROI positive or noteworthy just leads to such a sterilization of ideas um, because then you don't want to take any risks. And I really like taking some risks and we want to always get it right. And that's okay. I love that. It sounds like you have a great environment with Lisa who supports you taking risks, yeah. missing flights. Uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I hadn't, I wish I hadn't missed that flight. <laughs> well, it sounds like it worked out in your favor. So you're okay. in the right place for you. So <laughs> that is a, such a great story. Thank you for sharing all that. I, I just really yeah, enjoy hearing your experiences and uh, I really appreciate your point of view here um, I think a lot of people can can learn from that because it's just a, a beautiful philosophy that you have. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Yeah, we're all still figuring it out. Yeah. That's the good stuff. Well, speaking of figuring it out, my uh, last question for you is if money and talent were no object and you mm. could do anything in the world, what would you do? If I could do anything... Uh, I would be, I would certainly be some kind of musician, um, musician or stand-up comedian, I think, but uh, very light, like musicians, a far, 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 far uh, front runner in that respect. So yeah, I would be in a band. 100%. What kind of music? You know, I've often said studio musician, like just somebody who gets to play a lot of different kinds of music with a lot of different people. Um, 
when I go on our ships, I'm really jealous of these guys that just, I'm like, that guy gets to play the guitar like eight hours a day. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. One of the things I started doing since this whole working from home thing happened is that I started taking guitar lessons again. Um, awesome. And I take guitar lessons from Gina Gleason, who's the guitar player in Baroness, and she's unbelievable. So for an hour a week, you know, I'm back to taking guitar lessons again from this woman who is just one of the best guitar players on the planet. Um, so improving other things aside from just work at the same time. But yeah, that would be it, definitely. I love that. Well, you've secured a future in cruising, no matter what you choose to do, CMO or entertainment. So <laughs> that's, how, uh, that's how I'll retire. <laughs> hey, life could be a lot worse than traveling the world and playing the guitar. So a hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed having you on the show. This was really fun. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it and, and share uh, a little bit about my story. Thank you. Yeah, we have a lot more to dig into, I, clearly, but we'll, we'll do that on round two. So awesome. have a great day. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.